Welcome everybody to Bitcoin Optech newsletter number 245 recap on Twitter Spaces. It's Thursday, April 6, 2023. We'll do some quick introductions and jump into the newsletter. I'm Mike Schmidt, contributor at Optech and executive director at Brink, where we're funding Bitcoin open source developers. Hi, I'm Merch. I work at Chaincode Labs. This week I've been looking at a BIP draft for transaction terminology. Hi, I'm Sergi. I'm an open source dev supported by Spiral at the moment. And this week I've been featured in the uptake regarding watchtowers and accumulators and stuff like that. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, it's not every day that we have a watchtower expert on our podcast. And so thank you for joining. And perhaps as we jump into it, you could maybe provide a, just a quick overview of what are watchtowers and then maybe give your thoughts on the state of watchtowers these days. Sure. I don't like the word expert whatsoever, by the way. I've never called myself something like that, but yeah, thank you. So regarding watchtowers, for someone who is not familiar with the concept, the idea I think is pretty simple. So we all may know if we are used to using Lightning, that when we use Lightning, we need to be either always online because we have a node and we host the node and so on, or we are using like we still have a solution where someone else is like running the infrastructure for us and then they are always online so they can receive and send payments when we need to, right? This is kind of quite different from the approach followed by, let's say, standard Bitcoin itself with no channels and so on, mainly because you don't need to be online as long as you don't have to send a transaction. I mean, you may not even need a node to receive transactions as long as whoever wants to pay you has an address they can pay you to. But with Lightning, it's not that easy. The idea is that your node has to be online in order to be able to accept those payments, meaning that if you are not online, then some nasty stuff may happen. The idea is that as long as you are not offline most of the time, or as long as you're not offline for long periods of time, you may be okay because there are some mechanisms in place to prevent your counterparty to try to cheat and close the channel with an old state, it's normally called. So the idea is that uh, let's say we open the channel and we perform some transactions and then at some point we want to close the channel. Every single point between the opening and the close of the channel are valid transactions. So if the counterparty is not there to claim what's the valid state or what's the latest state, then the other party can just say, hey, this is the latest state and I'm going to close the channel with this. And as long as no one complains, that's going to be the truth for the rest of the network because there's privacy in, in, involved here. So no one else knows what's the latest state. Then how what's our like come to the picture is mainly being like an observer of those channels without actually knowing what's going on, but having enough information to see if someone is trying to close a channel with an old state. And if that's the case, then the idea is that the tower will just react to that action being being performed with proof that was actually not the, the latest state and will penalize the closure, let's say, the party that tried to close with the old state by sending all the money from the channel to the counterparty, which is, in principle, the actor that has employed the watchtower to act on, on their behalf. So, yeah, that's give or take how it goes. Perfect. And what's the state of, of watchtowers in the ecosystem currently in terms of, however you want to talk about that, adoption, different types of software, challenges? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, regarding software, as far as I know, there are at least, or there's been at least four different implementations of watchtowers that have been dedicated to different projects. So we have, in order of appearance, I would say, and as far as I know, the first watchtower to ever be implemented was done by Bitcoin Lightning Wallet, which is a software that is not, no longer maintained or used. 
that changed to simple Bitcoin wallet. And then I think now it's called Obi One, something like that. I may have like interchanged like the, the order of the software and so on. I don't fully remember now. I think it was Bitcoin Lightning Wallet, the first one. Well, they had an implementation called Olympus, which as far as I know, was the first implementation of watch hours ever be deployed in the wild. After that, it came LND with the LND watch hour, which followed give or take the same principle. The main difference between one and the other was that Olympus was using some kind of tokens to pay for the storage of the watch hour, whereas LND was using a completely altruistic watch hour. Both of them were designed in a way that only work with that implementation. So Olympus worked with Bitcoin Lightning Wallet and LND worked with LNDs. So no interoperability there. Then there's the Satoshi, which is the implementation I've been working on for a while, which tried to put some solution in place for this interoperability issue. So the angle was, hey, Let's have something that can work with any kind of node or wallet, no matter what you're using, you can have a watch hour and connect to it. Currently, it's only working for C-Lining, mainly because we don't have like an, like a standard or a common way of doing things, even though it's give or take the same what we are doing, but there are some differences and it looks like we haven't agreed on how to properly do things. And then the last one, which came give or take at the same time that the IO Satoshi is Electrums. They have their own implementation of watch hours in Python, if I'm not mistaken. And that's it for what I know. There may be something else that I'm not aware of, but that's what I've heard of at least. You mentioned there some incompatibility or, or differences in, a, in approach to watchtowers between these different pieces of software. Is there mm -hmm. discussion around a bolt or a blip or some way to standardize that? Or is everyone paving their own path here? It feels like everyone was paving their own path at the beginning. At some point when I started working on this, I tried to gather the people that were working on watch hours and try to write a bolt for that. And I did. There's a proposal for bolt 13, which was supposed to be the watch hour bolt. But apart from Antoine Riard and... People from CLN, like both Rusty and Christian, not many more people actually engage in the discussion of the Bolt. So at some point, I went straight on like start implementing it with the ideas I picked on from the ones that were already implemented, plus the ideas I had to try to make it a little bit better. And there hasn't been much discussion regarding the Bolt after that. Honestly, after seeing all the drama, let's say, regarding Bolt 12, it's draw me up a little bit to try to push this further in terms of standardization. It feels like if we want to do it, then that's kind of like a bottom-up thing instead of a top-down approach, right? It's not like, hey, I think this should be done in this way, so let's do it. People need to really care about this. And it feels like most of the node implementers or node implementations are focused on other stuff that they feel is more important or more relevant. So there hasn't been like that much interaction, to be honest. We can start shifting a bit towards your Lightning Dev mailing list post here. Mm -hmm. And maybe before we go into the details, you could provide the answer to this question, which is if we're seeking accountability to watchtowers, I'm wondering if you're proposing this as a more proactive solution. This tends to be common that you need to prove accountability or if this is something that is reactive and that this is act actively going on currently and it, you're trying to mitigate 
some misbehavior or downtime from watchtowers, and then maybe we can get into some of the details. Well, I think currently there hasn't been like that much use of towers generally, mainly because the main use for towers is for mobile devices instead of like desktop or like server nodes where those may be like mostly online or they may be more more beefy in the sense that they, they may have like redundancy in terms of both power supply or internet provider and so on and so forth. And since there's no implementation that actually works with mobile nodes or mobile wallets, the main, let's say, use case is not covered or the use case that makes more sense is not covered. So it's not like I'm trying to mitigate something that is going on. It's, it's more like I'm trying to design something that may be useful in the case that this happens. Because if you think of a future in where people are using towers, how do you decide what to use? Like, are you going to trust blindly in someone who is providing a service without knowing if they are reliable in any way? Or are you just going to like connect to a friend of yours who may be providing the service and you trust? Like the later doesn't scale. It may be a solution for some, but if you just are trying to offer these as a service for the whole network, like there should be a way of distinguishing between who is actually providing a good service and who is not. Because if you imagine that you're trusting or blindly thinking that your watch hour is going to cover you, if something bad happens, and then at the end of the day, they are not doing anything, then <laughs> you may be lowering your security by trusting, which you shouldn't, by the way, but like trusting this watch hour to cover your, your back. So that's the main idea. Like you shouldn't be trusting any, but in order for them to like be encouraged to behave, then there should be a way of calling them off if they are not behaving. What is that way? Maybe we can get into your proposal here a bit. Hmm. So, well, the way I see this, it's the way that the iOS Satoshi has been implemented since the very beginning. So putting in accountability is not something that it's hard to do. You just have to kind of have signed agreement between the things that you're sending to a tower. So in the iOS Satoshi, but there's other ways of doing it. The main idea is that the tower is covering you for a certain amount of time, let's say, I don't know, one million blocks or something like that. And then what you register, you agree with the tower on them covering you for that time. And they sign like a receipt saying, hey, I'm going to cover you from block one to block one million and one. And then every single time you send something to a tower, you can also sign it. And the tower returns a signed receipt saying, hey, you have sent this to me and I'm supposed to respond if this happens, right? So the idea is that both the user and the tower have signed receipts of the agreement of the both parts, right? Of like the watching of this channel in these specific states. And then in the end, if a bridge is seen on chain and it belongs to something that the user knows that has sent to the tower, the user can always go and say, hey, there's this bridge on chain. I send this piece of information to the tower. You can actually verify that this piece of information belongs to that bridge. And the tower was supposed to respond because I have this signature saying you have sent this to me, but the tower hasn't responded. So if that's the case, then you can always call off the tower and say, hey, you're not doing your job, so no one should be trusting you in doing so because you're not, right? And on the other hand, if the user has sent some data that doesn't make any sense to the tower, the tower could also prove that that data was the one being sent, and that's the reason why they couldn't respond. Maybe the transaction sent to the tower had a ridiculously low fee, or it was actually invalid, or whatever the reason was that they were not able to respond. So it's like and insurance for both sides. In one place, you have the user that can claim that the watchtower is misbehaving and no one should use it. And on the other hand, you have the tower that if they haven't responded for a good reason, they can prove that that's the case. The issue with that is obviously if you're going to be exchanging signatures for every exchange of information you're doing between the user and the tower, that's going to pile up at some point, especially on the user side. The tower side is not that important, to be honest, because you're already storing a lot of information for the user. 
But the user should be as light as possible and having to store their signature for every change of information may end up being an issue that we would like to minimize as long as we can or as much as we can. And so I see that you've spoken with Calvin Kim. I know that he does some work on Nutrixo and there's some work with accumulators there that helps decrease the amount of storage that's required. Can you talk a little bit about that discussion and how you've come to think about accumulators as solving for some of the space concerns? Yeah, there are two things here that doesn't work, let's say, or two issues that arise when you try to follow this approach in contrast with just not having accountability at all. First is what I was saying, right? Data piles up and then you want to minimize as much as you can how much it piles up. The other issue that arises when you try to work with accountability is data deletion, which is something that it may be in the interest of both parties to allow. Let's take out accountability for a second, right, and see how this may work for a normal watchtower. So the first thing to have in mind is that the watchtower doesn't know anything about channels. The user is sending encrypted information to the tower, and there are some like mechanisms to decrypt this information when it's needed and to use that to close channels when it's needed, right? There's no need to enter into how this works. But the idea behind that is that the tower doesn't know what channel or channels is she looking at. So the idea is that when a channel is closed, the tower doesn't know. The only way for the tower to know that a channel is closed is by the user telling the tower, hey, I've closed this channel, right? But we don't want that because if we do, then the tower may be able to link all the data that the user has sent to a tower and say, oh, all this encrypted data that they receive actually belongs to this channel. So now at least I know how many payments were performing that channel and the frequency if I was like, let's say, logging at the timestamp of every single piece of data I received from the user and so on and so forth. We don't want that. Neither one we know, when we, the tower to know if a channel was closed. Imagine that it's a normal channel and it's not, I mean, it's closed on not unilaterally, like both parts of the, of the channel agreed on closing it. In principle, no one should know that was a channel to begin with. And then if we tell the tower, hey, we've closed the channel, then they know, right? So we're trying to minimize the amount of information we give the tower in the same way we're trying to minimize the amount of information we give any other actor in the network that needs not the two end of the channel. So long story short, we want to be able to tell the tower, hey, delete this data because it's useless. We've closed the channel, so we are not going to need this anymore. And then maybe I can use the slots that you provide me in my subscription or whatever, like mean I have like paid you to look for my data to host information for other channels, right? So I don't have to pay you again for, for more data if I can just delete all data and add more data. Anyway. The idea is that if you're able to like tell that to the tower without disclosing what channel you have closed and so on then you can reuse some of your slots or space in, in the tower. That without the accountability is pretty straightforward. You just tell the tower, hey, delete this piece of data, that piece of data, and that other piece of data, and the tower does potentially, and that's it. There's nothing more to be done. But if the tower is being accountable, then there's an issue with this because in order for the tower to delete something, it has to keep proof that the user has requested this data deletion because otherwise the user can just say, hey, delete this. The tower does. And then the user later on shows a receipt saying that the tower was supposed to look for something and it hasn't. So now the tower has misbehaved, but actually the user requested some data deletion. Just the tower didn't log that, right? So the issue with that is that in order to delete some data, you have to store some data. I mean, it's bad in the sense that you can build the storage of the tower just by saying, hey, delete this and delete that. And that may need to be stored like for 
really long time. So that's something that is not ideal. So you have these two things in place, right? First, data builds up. Second, data deletion, it's a pain in the neck. So we want to kind of mitigate this. And one of the ways of doing so is actually using accumulators. Like if we can have a structure in where we can prove membership and non-membership of data, then we can just, instead of storing like signed receipts for every single interaction we have between the user and the tower, then we can just store the signature of all accumulated data. And then at some point, if we need to, we can say, hey, prove that this data belongs to the set or that this data doesn't belong to the set. In, for instance, if you want to prove that the tower has misbehaved and some data was supposed to be there, you say, hey, you were supposed to, to respond to this, prove that this piece of data was not in the set. And if they cannot prove it, it's because it's in the set and then it means that they are misbehaving or the other way around, right? The tower can always say, hey, I can prove that that was not part of the set. So you never send that data to me. And since we both sign the head of the accumulator, it means that you agreed that that was not in there at the very beginning. So you're actually lying, right? So the main idea is that instead of having to exchange and like keep that many signatures, we may do better just with one accumulator and the signature of the whole stake. That's why I got in touch with both uh, Salvatore and Calvin, sorry, because they both work in hash-based accumulators. I don't, I don't fully remember the name of it, but it's, it's hash-based accumulators in where addition is a really really easy. I think it's additive, additive hash based accumulator, something like that. I, I don't fully remember the name. And it felt like that may be a solution for this, not a straightforward one, because it looks like for both UTXO and Salvatore's accumulator, membership is easy to prove, but non-membership is not. So yeah, that's one of the reasons why I ended up like sending the mail, because it was like, I'm not that familiar with all this. Other people may. So yeah, let's have a discussion and see if there's any construction that makes sense and can be optimized. Merch, I've been monopolizing the questions. Do you want to ask anything? No, you've been doing a great job of asking. It's pretty fascinating of how complicated everything gets when you want to make sure that everybody is doing their job and everybody can prove that they're doing their job and haven't been cheating. And all that to just make sure that nobody in a lightning channel is cheating. Yeah, we actually recorded a podcast episode with Sergi a few weeks ago, a couple months ago, maybe, on the Chain Code podcast, where we also went into Watchtowers in depth. So if you're interested in the topic, you can also listen to that. I was curious mostly about the no deletion capability. So you're saying that the endlessly growing data that the watchtower and the user both have to store in order to prove that they gave the job to the watchtower and or that the job was rescinded by the user to the watchtower. You are curbing the endless growth of that by having time limits on how long the watchtower is storing that and also having in the signed message a timeout until it when it is valid. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. It is that the user has a subscription in, well, at least in our approach, it has a subscription which is bounded. And after that ends, then the tower ends up selling that data. So if the user wants to renew that subscription, then they can just by paying again. And then the tower will store or keep that information for longer. But once the subscription is expired, then well, there's actually like some grace period and so on. So just in case the user forgets. But at some point, the tower will delete the data. I mean, the time you have to, to complain about something, right? If you want to like, well, if you work with accumulators, if you don't work with accumulators, you actually have data that you can prove for life, let's say. 
But if you're working with accumulators, the tower is the one that has to end up providing the data that they are supposed to be hosting. So at some point, if you try to say, hey, you cheat to me three years ago, it's like, yeah, I don't have the data anymore. So good luck trying to prove that. That doesn't happen if you're not using accumulators because the client may have all the data necessary to make this work, but it means that they also have to store way more data on their end, which we are trying to prevent or improve. Understood. How has feedback been from the mailing list and elsewhere on, on your initial post and, and discussions you've had either on the mailing list or outside of that? So I got feedback from both Calvin and Salvatore since the very first day I was looking into this. I pinged them like directly before sending the, in the email. I don't think anyone has replied to the mailing list post, but as I was saying before, not many people are interested in what's our development level. So that's kind of like usual. I'm taking the, the email just in case someone has replied and I haven't seen, but I don't think so. Again, feels like everyone has a lot in their plates. And if you don't ping them directly or it's something that it's related to their work, may not, you may not get a reply. But hey, listener, if you're listening to this and you're interested in watch our short accumulators, yeah, ping me. Let's have a chat. Great call to action. Anything else you'd say before we wrap up on this news item? No, not really from my end. I think we've covered most of what the proposal is about. If anyone is more intrigued about how it is, yeah, there's a link on the both the mailing list, mail, and the Uptech newsletter. There's a gist about the proposal itself, so it's not that long to, to read. I think you can read it in like 10 minutes and understand it pretty straightforwardly. So yeah, give me a ping or yeah, whatever. Merch, anything before we move on? No, I think that's all. Well, thank you for, for joining us. You're welcome to stay on. We have a bunch of lightning-related PRs later in the newsletter if you care to comment on any of those. But otherwise, if you're busy with other things, you're free to drop off as well. I'll stay around just in case. Awesome. Next section of the newsletter is releases and release candidates. We have a couple that we've covered already, LND 0.16.0 beta. So I think we were at RC5 last week. Now we're at the, the official beta. We have promised that we will have LND folks on to explain this in, in depth in the future. So we can skip on from this, I think, for now. Obviously, call to anybody who's using LND to try out the beta and make sure that you provide feedback to that team. The second release is BDK 1.0.0 alpha.0. And we actually had Alicos on previously, and that episode is published. It's from newsletter 243 to get a little bit more details on that release and sort of the re-architecting that they've been doing there. Merch, any feedback on LND and BDK releases? I think I just want to call to action in the sense that people that are using these projects downstream to build other projects, please do read release notes. We had a little bit of an outcry about a CLN release a couple months ago, maybe last month, because there was something being deprecated, which was announced for a year and had been missed. So... I think when release notes come out, especially for major releases, you do want to go over them and read them if you depend on them. Our first PR this week is from Core Lightning, 5967, adding a list closed channels RPC. And I think the impetus for this RPC was actually related to information about old peers being discarded. And as part of retaining that data about old peers, there is RPC added as well to be able to pull closed channel information, which includes some of that peer-related information that was previously being discarded. Merch, Core Lightning, 5967 thoughts? 
Sounds good that you can now see what channels were closed, especially when they were closed while you weren't staring at your computer and still want to figure out what happened. Next PR is Eclair2566, adding support for accepting offers. So I think previously paying offers was supported by Eclair, but now there is capability to receive offers as well. And as a reminder, offers are Bolt 12. And the implementation detail for Eclair here on accepting was there's a plugin that you need to implement, which handles the creating of the offer and also handling the invoice requests and payments associated with that. And Eclair also notes in the pull request in the documentation that this is, offers are still experimental and the de details can change, but you feel free to play with that in Eclair now. The way I understand this approach here is that they are putting it into a plugin so that they don't have to update their main program's logic, but can still already sort of have this external determination of whether something should be accepted and that way can start experimenting with them on the network. So it sounds to me that in the last few months, especially the speed on offers has been picking up and I don't know, maybe this is the year of offers. LDK 2062, which implements Bolt 1031, 1032, and 1040. And we note in the write-up here, different newsletter coverage of each of those. And the idea here is that in Lightning, the final node in a route has stricter requirements on the HTLC contents compared to intermediate nodes along that route. And that can allow for probing, which could be used to determine whether or not the next node is the destination of the payment, which is obviously not great from a privacy perspective. And so a series of these changes, which allows overpayments can help mitigate that probing attack. And that applies in a bunch of different scenarios that we outline here. And also in the newsletter, we provide the example of Alice wanting to split a 900 SAT payment into two parts, but in the case of the multipath payment, maybe there's the two routes that she was going to route through require 500 SAT minimum amounts. And with the spec change, she can now send two different 500 SAT payments totaling 1,000 SATs instead of that 900 SATs. And then that overpayment of 100 can allow her to use her preferred route. Merch, thoughts on this probing mitigations? Yeah, I was just wondering how often this would occur in practice because I think when the forwarder fumbles an attempt and actually undershoots, so the idea is basically if you have multiple routes or if the sender wants to attach a few sets extra so that it's not an exact round amount and there might be plausible deniability for the receiver that they're not the final destination, but rather another hop. But I, I was just wondering if, if someone were actually probing in order to determine whether the next hop is the receiver, wouldn't the first time they attempt that and they forward an HTLC that is obviously short, wouldn't that be an obvious tell that they're trying to do this and we could just ban them? Anyway, this sounds like more privacy work, more being lenient on the end where overpaying is fine. We accept tips for a privacy benefit. So sorry, I'm rambling. Sergey. I think we can move on for now. LDK 2125, adding helper functions to determine the amount of time until an invoice expires. So a little helper PR that does three different things. It will give you the Unix timestamp for duration since the Unix epoch 
and that represents the, at the time at which the invoice expires. There's another helper function for the time remaining until the invoice expires. And then there's another helper for duration remaining until the invoice expires if you give it a certain time. So the delta, the duration between those differences. So seems good. I don't know. Merch, any thoughts? Thumbs up. Yep. Okay. We got three different BTC pay server PRs. The first one is 4826, allows service hooks to create and retrieve LN URL invoices. And it was mentioned that this was done to add support for NIP57 zaps to BTC pay servers lightning address features. Merch, what's a NIP? N-I-P. I believe that stands for Nostra Improvement Proposal. And so Nostra is a, well, messaging or short blogging platform that works on basis of a federated system of, well, not even federated, just relay stations that you can subscribe to and, and post your Nostra messages to. And then whoever else is subscribed to these relay stations will receive the ones that they're interested in. It's been quite popular in the past few months. I'm sure people must have heard about them since. Anyway, one of the things that are interesting there right now is that people are trying to implement lightning payments as a means to encourage and thank for messages, sort of like a thumbs up on, on Reddit or or the like on Twitter, you would instead send a few Satoshis. And this happens in, or the term for this is called a zap. And yeah, so there was a little bit of a kerfluffle on Twitter last week where people noticed that almost all of these zaps are facilitated by custodial lightning services. And they wanted more support for non-custodial Bitcoin platforms to, to offer zaps. So I, I see BTC Pay Server moving quickly to step in here. So essentially this uh, NIP57 is a way to standardize those lightning zaps on Nostr. I have actually not verified that, but if you say so, I believe you. <laughs> we'll roll with that. Next BTC Pay Server PR is 4782, adding proof of payment on the receipt page. And I think before this change with BTC Pay on the receipt page, they would show the Bolt 11 as the proof of payment, whereas now that's been changed to add the pre-image as an actual verifiable proof of payment on the receipt page now. Any comments on that, Merch? Great. Not really. Nothing from me. And then the last BTC Pay server PR is 4799, adding the ability to export wallet labels for transactions specifically. We had covered this in the newsletter as the BIP was proposed and then assigned. So this is actually BIP 329, and it standardizes the way that wallets can assign labels to wallet-related information. So transactions, addresses, and other pieces of wallet data. And in this example, BTC Pay has the export capability specifically for transaction data. So you can essentially say, hey, this transaction was for a payment to this merchant or whatever sort of notes you might have about a transaction. And then you're able to export that in that standardized wallet label format. And then they also noted that BTC Pay may add support for other wallet data. And I believe they mentioned that that would be address information. So good to see adoption there. Yeah, just like the adoption of this will make it much easier to keep accounting intact because previously, even if you could recover all of your financial data or like the actual transaction data and UTXOs, if you had a backup of the wallet, you would lose all the context and context 
is very important for the whole accounting and maybe even reporting use cases. Last PR for this week is to the Bolts repository, and that's 765, adding route blinding to the LN spec. Yay! I think that PR was originally opened over two years ago, and we have talked about this a bit, different implementations, adding different support for route blinding, and the sort of the benefits of route blinding, there's a few notable ones. Providing sender and recipient anonymity when you're sending onion messages or receiving onion messages. And then recipient anonymity for Bolt 12 offers. And then recipient anonymity when receiving payments. And then allowing the use of unannounced channels in invoices without actually revealing those unannounced channels. And then also forcing a payment to go through a specific set of intermediaries if for some reason you want those intermediaries to witness the payment. So those are the benefits. It's nice to see that was merged. Merch, do you have thoughts on that? I, I just wanted to point out that it seems to be exactly the two-year birthday of that PR. <laughs> and I think also there were previous approaches that did not end up making it. So there was something called rendezvous routing, and there's also trampoline payments. I think trampoline payments are in use, but rendezvous routing sort of got superseded. So the idea is even much older. I think it's just that under the name of route blinding, it's been around for at least two years now. And the author of this PR in one of the documentation pieces that's changed actually notes those competing proposals and, and pros and cons to those proposals against route blinding. You mentioned rendezvous routing, and I think there's also something called Hornet that I guess is also contrasted in the actual route blinding markdown file that is in this PR. So if you're curious, jump into that to see some of the differences. Merch, any announcements or anything before we wrap up? Nothing from me this week. All right. We kept it to 45 minutes this week. Thank you to my co-host, Merch, and thank you to Sergey for joining us. And thank you all for listening. If anybody has a question, real quickly, feel free to request speaker access. I, I think there was a comment here. No, it looks like it was just an NFT spam in our Twitter thread. So any questions, comments? You just want to say thanks for inviting me, by the way, guys. Yeah. Thank you for your insights. All right, we'll see you all back here for next week, 246. Cheers. Goodbye.